a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking this week about this astonishing news that Donald Trump has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And, Keith, I'm going to have to get you to come in here and take over immediately with the details because I don't think I can go through with it. (laughs) So um, the people who can do the nominating come in particular categories, including politicians. So uh, we have a group of Republican politicians in the United States that have now made a nomination for Donald Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize because he's sorting out the Korean crisis. Now, this is before we got the information in the last few hours about where the meeting's going to take place, etc. So it's been a, a real surprise that they have done this. Some American presidents have won the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, a very early one was Theodore Roosevelt, who negotiated an end to the war between the Russian Empire and Japan just over 100 years ago. And, of course, Jimmy Carter has received it as well, most recently Barack Obama, who was frankly embarrassed Mm. about that decision. He didn't think he earned it, whereas you could argue that the two previous presidents I've mentioned did deserve it. Similarly, George Marshall, who was responsible for the Marshall Aid Program that helped build Western Europe, also uh, got it and I think deserved it. So remind us about uh, Obama and how he got it. A few years ago? Well, um, he just got nominated pretty well almost as soon as he became president. And the Nobel Committee, obviously sick of George Bush, decided to give it to Barack Obama. He hadn't done anything to earn it at that time in the first year. They have argued that they were meaning to do it as a way of encouragement. It's interesting, the secretary of the Nobel Committee, who doesn't have a vote, but the secretary of the committee, the ex in his memoir, has said that was probably a mistake. Because when you look at Obama's record, he really didn't do all that much for moving towards world peace. It was a very controversial move. Even Obama himself was embarrassed to have to go to Stockholm, to have to pick it up. He asked her whether he could be excused having to attend, and he was told, well, usually the only people who can't attend are those who are held as political prisoners. (laughs) So there's a well-known Chinese person in that category. So... Obama had to turn up, but clearly, you know, really hadn't earned it and didn't earn it either in the remaining seven years of the presidency. So this has come as a real surprise that Donald Trump has been nominated for this. But my argument is that Trump is the great disruptor. And so, you know, the way that he got elected uh, was quite amazing. He caused the biggest electoral upset back in 2016 since we'd had since 1948, which is Harry Truman. So he could argue, look, I'm a disruptor. I do things differently, as he is also now doing with the Korean negotiations. So traditionally speaking, you only get to meet the US president for the final ceremony where you sign the document and you get your photos taken. For me, there doesn't seem to be the same sort of lead up in terms of preparation. Okay, the uh, Secretary of State has been there now twice to have meetings and you had three American citizens now released. Too late for dear old Otto Wombier, of course, who perished uh, as a result of ill-treatment in North Korea. Yeah, that was life happened last year, young that, American. Yeah, he was an American student who was caught removing a poster from a wall, obviously taking it as a souvenir. And the North Koreans um, decided to punish him for it. And then because it looked as though he was going to die in jail, they flew him back to the United States in a semi-comatose state and died in the United States. 
this is a problem for Trump, right? There's a lot of anger out there over Otto Wombia. So if he starts praising the North Korean leader too much, people will say, yeah, but he also murders Americans. So anyway, we've had this goodwill gesture by the North Korean leader. He's now released three people who are held in North Korea. They've been brought back by the Secretary of State into the United States. So the North Korean leader is on a very sophisticated charm offensive. The event will be held in Singapore, but we're not sure what they're going to be negotiating. And, you know, normally where an event like this is always arranged by lots of Uh, diplomats, military people, bureaucrats, lawyers, to work out exactly what the agreement is going to be about. Um, Is it going to be a binding treaty? Will it just be a statement of aspiration so that we aim to denuclearise the Korean peninsula? How do you define denuclearize? Because it means not only North Korea getting rid of all of their weapons, but also the Americans perhaps having to withdraw from South Korea. That's obviously one dimension to it. Will North Korea, as a result of the agreement, be eligible to buy American military equipment? Will uh, North Korea be able to get foreign investment? These are all issues that need to be addressed. And you just can't turn up with a blank sheet of paper as a real estate negotiator and try to put a deal together on the spot. You really need weeks, if not months, of lead-up while you work all this stuff out on your own side and then also with the opposing side. So you get these informal negotiations, etc., and you go through a variety of texts. I've been involved with this over the years at international conferences. Very complicated process. Trump's going to rock up in Singapore in a few weeks' time, um, and we're not, not at all sure what they're actually going to be discussing. It'll be a photo opportunity. Remember, the Americans have consistently denied the North Koreans that photo opportunity. The photo opportunity was the cherry on the cake when a deal was going to be done. So before we've got the current Secretary of State in North Korea, the only previous high-level connection of serving officials was Madeleine Albright, who was the US Secretary of State. So she went on behalf of President Clinton to see if there was a meeting that could take place. When she came back, she said, no, I don't think it'd be valuable to have a meeting. In other words, they could not see how they could come up with a, a good negotiated agreement. So Clinton never went. Clinton later went, but was a private citizen by that time. So this will be the first time that a serving American president will meet with a North Korean leader. And Trump is looking upon this as a great diplomatic breakthrough, but the Koreans have been after this for decades. He's already giving away the cherry to go on the cake. But if you look at his behaviour since getting into office on a global scale, he is not endeared. Uh, the global audience don't like Trump, generally speaking. He reneged on the Paris Agreement. Uh, this week we've seen him renege on the Iran nuclear deal. So surely this is just a way for him as well to win points in global eyes. Well, that's what he's obviously hoping. But there are a lot of people, you know, the, the old war horses, so to speak, who follow diplomacy and are really quite worried that the young Kim will pull the wool over the eyes of the old Donald. That's the worry that we've got and that Trump will be simply out-negotiated by the North Koreans. Trump, I've noticed in the last few hours, is saying, well, you know, if I'm not happy with the deal, I can walk away from it, which is a note of reassurance. He's not that desperate for it. But then if he knows if he can put something through, he might get a Nobel Peace Prize out of this. Remember, Trump is seeking to demolish everything that Obama created. He can't get rid of Obama having earned the Nobel Peace Prize, or at least having received it. But what he can do is to get a prize in his own right. 
And so that is what he's seeking to do, I think. It's quite extraordinary. What is the problem he's got with Obama? I think it's one of ego. And I think that comes up also when you look at what's going on in Iran at the moment and the cancellation of that nuclear deal with Iran. Which we will talk about in just a moment. You're listening to Global Truth with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking this week about this extraordinary news that Donald Trump has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for attempting to bring peace to the Korean Peninsula. Uh, There has been a a meeting announced. The date will be June 12th between him and Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader. Uh, It's quite extraordinary that he has, in fact, been nominated by a group of Republicans for his work in peacekeeping Uh, essentially. And now we're going to talk about the fact that the ironic thing is, Keith, that earlier this week he reneged on a nuclear deal with Iran. Exactly. So this is a deal that was negotiated by Obama. Remember, Trump is against everything Obama achieved. So this was uh, an agreement between the permanent members of the UN Security Council, that's the United States, Russia, China, United Kingdom and France, plus Germany on the one side, and you've got Iran on the other side. And now Iran has been subject to international sanctions for several years. And the agreement was the sanctions would be lifted and Iran would agree not to acquire nuclear weapons. And there's now an international inspection regime underway so that the international inspectors can check that, in fact, Iran is holding to the deal. The International Atomic Energy Agency has said Iran is doing so. The European allies of the United States have said Iran is doing so. The Israeli Prime Minister doesn't like the agreement, but his own intelligence services are saying Iran is abiding by the agreement. So we see this strange situation whereby Trump has said, I'm pulling out of this because Iran is not abiding by the agreement. It's given no evidence to support that claim that Iran has broken the agreement. And so we're in this ironic situation, therefore, that the United States is now alienated from many of its traditional allies, particularly in Europe. Australia has criticised Trump's decision, very low-key, because Australian politicians are not allowed to be too critical of the United States. But nonetheless, Turnbull has made it clear in the last few hours that he thinks this was a mistake as well. And it's also a tragedy for the Australians who, you know, we sell $200 million worth of mainly foodstuffs into Iran or have tried to do so. So the United States has said they will reimpose the sanctions because they don't think Iran is honouring the the deal. They're the only ones who say that. Reimpose the sanctions and then punish anybody else who wants to trade with Iran, and that would include Australian traders. So I, what is Trump hoping to gain from this? What, what, do we, what do we think the answer is here? Why did he do this? I still don't know. Nobody seems to know. So maybe it's a mixture of obviously being anti-Obama. It's a, a, it was a campaign promise that he made, although even at the time it was highly criticised by people. And obviously he's giving in to some of his friends in the Israeli government, not all of Israel, but some of his friends in the Israeli government and also Saudi Arabia. Remember, Saudi and Iran are in this long struggle for supremacy in the Middle East. If Iran comes back online, is allowed to get back into the sale of oil, for example, as you may know, the price of oil has gone up again because of the disruption. Iran is responsible for about 3% of the global supply at the moment, but obviously could produce far more once the economy starts to pick up and you get modern equipment and all the repairs are made, etc. So 
that would put Iran more back as a regional player in the Middle East, and that would annoy both Israel and Saudi Arabia, who don't get on too well themselves, but they don't like <laughs> that they are united by their fear of what's going on with uh, Iran. And, of course, Israel has been lobbying the US to pull out of the Iran deal because they, of course, have been threatened by Iran. Iran has made no secret of their hatred of the state of Israel. Absolutely. And it's the same for most Arab states. If you look at the rhetoric, for me, as somebody who is used to go into the conferences, you know, every African leader in the old days of South Africa's apartheid always finished by criticising apartheid, no matter what the context they criticised apartheid because it was the only thing that held together all of those African countries. And if you look at the politics of the Islamic world, it's similarly the same. A criticism of Israel is the only thing that really unites a variety of countries, including Malaysia and Indonesia, as well as the Arab states. So there's such hypocrisy in this in the same week, dissing the Iran nuclear deal, pulling out of it, and every other country has remained in it. And yet, rewarding North Korea. I mean, I know that they're abandoning apparently, but they haven't yet. So isn't that just breathtaking hypocrisy? And if you're a North Korean leader, you must be wondering, can I trust the United States to honour the deal? And even if Trump would honour this deal, how do we know that a later president will simply tear it up just as as, um, Trump has torn up this previous Iran deal? Let's go back to the actual point of this discussion, which is the Nobel Peace Prize for Trump. Um, Tell me about the Republicans who have nominated him. Well, it's interesting because they're not big profile uh, Republicans. Uh, They're not the McCains of this world. They are not people who've normally been identified with um, humanitarian, international engagement type causes. I think that this particular explanation is best as a good example of all politics is local. And so... Now, if you look at the state of the Republican Party, increasingly the debate is not over policy, but do you support Trump? That's it. So that's the litmus test, really. And remember, a lot of these people are going to have to be up for re-election in November. All of the lower house, one third of the Senate. And so I think that what's partly motivated the Republican politicians has been a desire to keep in suite with the Trump supporters and be able to say, yes, I am a Trump supporter. And look at this, my name's on that letter of application through for the Nobel Peace Prize. I think that's the best way to describe it because otherwise it's very difficult to make sense of any of this. But remember, these are not big peaceniks. None of them have been associated with the peace movement in the United States. None of them have previously been involved with the Nobel Peace Process. I think they're just doing it as a way of hoping to secure their re-election in November. So we know that Trump's um, base like headlines and they, they might not necessarily be as well-educated uh, as other voters in America. What do we assume their knowledge is of a situation like North Korea where there's been horrific headlines for years and years about threats against America and nuclear weapons being developed over there and then suddenly the president turns? Well, that's going to be the interesting issue. Both leaders have to make sure they've got domestic support. So remember, Trump has whipped up this campaign against North Korea as per his predecessors. You know, Bush was and Obama, Clinton were just, or just the same. So he's got to make sure that if he is going to do a deal with the North Korean leader, that in fact there's enough support at home for that to take place. People will look at the fine print coming out of the deal in June and just say, well, is he giving too much wriggle room for the North Koreans to start misbehaving themselves? But on the other side, the North Korean leader also has to be careful because, remember, his dynasty has whipped up this hatred of the Americans and so if he is seen to be too lenient towards the Americans, he might be removed by hardliners 
So you can imagine in both countries there are hardliners who are saying we don't trust the other side and we don't want to see deals done, which could end up weakening us. So the problem for them for the North Korean leader is that he might be in trouble at home if he's seen to give in too much to Donald Trump. But Trump has just been completely trumpeting this meeting. <laughs> yep. He has just, I mean, just the tweet this week about this being groundbreaking for world peace, announcing the date and the place where it's going to happen. I mean, he's trying to draw as much attention to this as possible. Absolutely, and I think that's a risk for him because it makes him even more desperate for there to be a success. Makes it harder for him to walk away from it. And, and similarly, I think, for the North Korean leader, except that he controls his own media at home. So if it is a disaster, his newspapers will just simply print the government line. Trump's problem is that you've got a variety of other media outlets who will be saying all sorts of things and so could end up damaging his reputation. But, of course, given the 24-7 media news cycle that we now have, my guess is that we'll have another issue to worry about later on because there are just so many issues that Trump is creating from one story to the next. Isn't he doing that himself, though? He is doing it. That's right. So he can deflect attention by going on to another issue. It's quite extraordinary, his ability. In the morning, you wake up to one headline, and about two hours later, if he wants to deflect from that, there is a peace treaty happening with North Korea, or and, and he, no one's talking about the Stormy Daniels thing anymore. Exactly. And, of course, that is very interesting because the lawyer involved with Stormy Daniels may well, in fact, been receiving a lot more money for a lot of other reasons going into that fund. So it's just one issue after another. And this goes back to my worry about Donald Trump as a negotiating partner because the North Korean leader has only one thing to think about, which is Donald Trump. If you're Donald Trump, you're not only thinking about North Korea and Iran, but you're also thinking about domestic politics, including the Stormy Daniels allegations. We've just had the first conviction under Mueller's investigation. The first one has just gone to jail, admittedly only for a month, but he's got that's the first conviction. So if you're Donald Trump, you know, you've only got 24 hours in the day and you've got a limited amount of brain space. So even if you consider yourself the brainiest person on earth, there's still only 24 hours in the day. His brain is getting overloaded with so many things on so many fronts at the same time. It's a very risky way to govern a country. Again, a completely multifaceted conversation. This is a watch this space type story, I think, Keith. Absolutely. Global Truth with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app. Listener.